0: What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What
1: are NFTs? A non fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin.
0: Bitcoin just
2: seems like a scam.
1: Welcome to the third episode of our incredible series between Ledger and FWB where we talk about creative custody. Um, on this episode, we talked to Mel Tall, who does not do these interviews very often. She says she does like one a year. Um, so super happy that she's joined us. If you are a brand or a creator or a creative person and you wanna know you know what it means to build a project in this space, you know Mel isn't a marketer. She's a tokenomics expert, um, sort of a self-professed geek who you know but there's you'll see when you hear the interview there's something special about her she doesn't you know just care about the geeky bits she actually cares about how culture moves and we we cover um that intersection of technology and culture we cover where it's going we um you know we have lots of advice for brands and for and for for founders um and wow i i was, blown away. Z, what'd you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we could have uh, continued talking and asking her tons of questions for several hours. And uh, and so I think it's also just a great conversation that'll really get you thinking about, you know, where where this space is headed. And it's exciting. It like makes you, exci- I it made me excited. So I hope it will make everybody else excited and inspired also. So we hope you enjoy.
1: Let's get into it. Welcome, Mel. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. It's obviously a long time coming. I think it took us a little bit to coordinate our calendars. Yeah, and
1: you're, you're a, you don't do so many of these, so I feel very lucky that we uh, that, that we got you on.
2: Yeah, this is uh, one one a year. I think is my average.
1: That's perfect. You know, there's supply. You you know why? Because you're a tokenomics expert and you understand supply and demand.
2: <laughs> is that what it is?
1: <laughs> I think it's more um, in, in, intuitively. Zoe, why don't you kick us off with, the, with, the, with the, the first bonus surprise question?
0: First bonus surprise question. So, we've just been asking everybody since Dad and I are both avid concert goers, what was the first concert that you ever saw?
2: Um, my first concert that I ever saw was the Guns N' Roses um, Lose Your Illusion uh, tour. That was in.
1: That's a good one.
2: Yeah, it was a crazy one. It was in.
1: Sorry, I shouldn't judge. I shouldn't judge.
2: No, it was in But it's, um, that's a
1: good one. <laughs>
2: um in the race course in um outside of Melbourne and it was a 38 degrees so like 100 ish um Fahrenheit yeah. day and um they almost half the crowd got heat exhaustion. It was like one of those crazy crazy rock oh concerts God. and you know 50,000 people and just mayhem and yeah, it was it was really good. <laughs> so good good entry into concert worlds
1: <laughs> um that is amazing i've another follow-up question then was it a good show
2: it was incredible i mean this was when guns and roses were peak peak it, like the rock band exactly yeah
1: i mean it's your it was, illusion double double compact disc
2: it was crazy only big bands
1: <laughs> can release double compact discs
2: i think it was when november rain was like number one song everywhere in the world it was like that peak peak time for them so right. it, was, it was a pretty right. epic
1: thing. <laughs> well given what your first concert was we already know a lot about you um but like tell us who you are how do you summarize you know who you are and what you do uh
2: who i am i mean who i am is is probably um like just as a person i'm very much uh in like individual or, or i do things pretty solo so since the beginning of my career i've always worked for myself never, ever wanted to work for someone else. Um, you know, I sort of have that little bit of an anarchist streak. It's really more of a freedom streak than an anarchist streak, I think. I don't want to break stuff. I just want to be free of things. Um, and so uh, that's probably the better way to describe me. And and then um, what do I do is, what I do is um, I build tokenomics and technical structures in the crypto space. And I've been doing that for, for a fair amount of time now, so um, since since early on in the Ethereum ecosystem. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I do that for big brands and interesting. How,
1: how did you find your way to that? I mean, I, I know you as, you know, one of the, if not the sort of foremost tokenomics experts and like, but, but how, how does one become that?
2: <laughs> um, before I got into crypto, I I was really like, I mean, this is probably just shows how geeky I am, but um, before I got into crypto I was really into complex systems and i really like went deep on how complexity works and game theory and then all of the other things that kind of go along with that and then also just natural systems. So I did studied biodynamic farming and organic and permaculture and um all of these system structures like really complex natural uh, decentralized systems. And so when I got into the crypto space like firstly it just made sense because it was a technical version of the kinds of systems that I'd already kind of gone quite deep on. Um, And then once I got in, I just, I kind of (laughs) like the idealist of me, I kind of fell in love with the white papers. So for me, I learned how to build in this space by reading all of the aspirational things that everybody else wanted to build and just um, going really deep and kind of doing the right, um, I guess, just researching all the things that they would put in, <laughs> definitely googling the mathematics, and then um, you know just figuring it out. So it was it was just sort of a natural direction for me to go in because I'm already I was already fascinated with how systems work, and um, tokenomics is really just a game of um, how to make the complex systems that sit on top of this technology. So,
1: what's your what's your background? i'm I'm curious i mean i'm i'm kind of asking this for you know anyone who's interested in what it is you do you know i think there are probably others who are listening who also find it interesting uh they might want to go that direction but you know what what's um what's what are the prerequisites for doing what you do
2: um i think like it's i know it sounds a little bit cliche but really deep curiosity i think is a fundamental ingredient in this because you, you have to be prepared to like to one, go down paths that you've never seen before because most of it's pretty new and to really kind of go wide as well as deep. So you need like a kind of curiosity to do that. Um, And, you know, from a background perspective, I've, I've always run my own businesses and for me it was about problem solving. So I'd pick a problem that I thought, to be solved and that would be my business and so it was never like I'm going to create a company it was like I'm going to solve a problem and so um, maybe it's about like a combination of curiosity and the need to like solve interesting problems or work on interesting problems and combining those two things together makes this sort of space quite easy I think like it's never a work it doesn't feel like work ever to me. So it's always just like, oh, I'm going to learn something new or I'm going to solve that thing.
1: <laughs> and I mean, you and I met because we both have this belief somewhere that, you know, culture is currency. Um, so you also, if I can reference Guns N' Roses, you know, have a, you know, a love or a belief in culture. What, you know, wh- where does that play in, in what you do? Um,
2: yeah, absolutely. Like, so I, I don't think there's anything that you can create technically that isn't human, right? And there's this like funny separation of these two things. But in my mind, it's like, this is a representation or a reflection of a human in this technology, in every piece that's made and everything that's created on it, right? And so to understand the technology, you have to understand the people, right? And to understand even the systems, you have to understand the people. Even if you want to understand what the problem is, you have to understand the people, right? And so it was always this, like every time I looked at a problem, whether it's technical, practical, structural Um, I would look at it and think, well, what's the human element of that? How did it get created? What are the decisions that were made? You know, where did that come from? What's in that culture for that place where that was created that created that outcome for it? And then you start going really deep on culture. You start to really go, oh, hang on a second. When things that are built in Asian countries are built with less space, in them because people culturally actually stand closer together, right? And it's a really funny extrapolation, but that actually reflects in everything. There's tiny, tiny little details in products that you see built from Asian descendants, especially like Japan, because they're so accustomed to actually standing really close together culturally. And so there's like these really direct reflection between how people live and how people build right and so I've gone deep down the rabbit hole of like how people live so I can understand better about how people build and what you know outcomes you or think different things you can kind of create in in those spaces.
0: Yeah so when you're thinking about you know, a given project that you're working on. So it's cool because you get to work on a bunch of different ideas. And then I would love to like kind of dig into, you know, the types of things that you like, like you were just mentioning that you grab onto about that community when you're thinking about how to kind of make an economy out of that, right? Like you're making all of these like cool, tiny economies is is almost like your, your gig, right? For these people. And so it's interesting to think about like, how do you think about something like a rug radio different from something that's a, you know, more of like a well-known brand, right? And I think those are two kind of like really interesting different things, but they're both super based on culture, right? So what's your kind of framework when you go into a project like that? Like, what are the first questions that you ask the team? Yeah, it's interesting
2: because they're so different. (laughs) Even just like, if I think about like, Think about like a Nike, for example, which is a brand that I work with. And then a Rug Radio, it's like, wow, it's like night and day. Um, And so, um, you know, for Rug Radio or any kind of crypto, Rug Radio is a crypto native project, right? And so anything that's like a crypto native project is a blank slate, essentially, because it doesn't have a history, And it doesn't have necessarily like a structured culture, like you're creating the culture with this structure, right? And so what that equals in my mind anyway is like absolute freedom, right? Like I can do the craziest stuff in that space. So I can test out new ways of building smart contracts. I can, you know, mess around with different kinds of structures. I can go really deep on how to, you know, bypass different things, but still get really flexible, like different Um, risks but still get really flexible like token movements and these sorts of things. And I can have like lots of different tokens in it, right? So it's like a lot more freedom to do a lot more things just with, just technically, you know, in that space, because there's less, like there's less at stake, if that makes sense. Um, the community has an appetite for risk just by being there in that ecosystem. So you're talking about culture, like the culture of risk appetite when you're sitting at the edge in a space that's already on the edge is a really like a wonderful big appetite, right? And so you can do all these kind of left field and creative things Um for the first time and there's room for it like there's a, a space for it i mean we created in rug radio we created it was from, i think it was one of the first DAOs that was 100% fair launch and created by the community from the ground up and um including every single part of it right and that that was really hard but really interesting to do, and you would never ever be able to do that with a brand because there's so many moving parts and so many things that can go wrong, and so many voices and people that you don't know, and all of those sorts of things, right? But you can do that in the crypto space, and that's what's cool about it. It's kind of like that's why I call it space like a beta environment because you can test the crazy things with this with this ecosystem. And then on the other side, if you look at like a brand like Nike and working with them, you're going into a, mm-hmm. an environment where they've got specific outcomes like specific goals and and problems that they're trying to solve so you're automatically going i'm i'm working within these bounds firstly i'm working within the bounds of risks that the brand has an appetite for then i'm working within the bounds of the resources that they've got allocated to it and then on top of that you're working within the bounds of the problems that they're specifically trying to solve so it actually is quite um like limiting from the outside, but then at the same time that makes for some of the best, coolest technical structures because you have to really push yourself to figure out how to solve those problems and still, you know, be really dynamic about it. So very, very different way of thinking from start to finish. At Rug Radio I basically built the tokenomics structure completely mapped it out by myself and then went back and said, what do you think about this? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and so it's like just a totally different thing <laughs> than, than, than right. obviously the huge collaborative effort that you would do on a Nike project.
0: <laughs> no, that, I mean, that is, that, that sounds, that sounds right. Right. Because the Rogue radio thing, they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> whatever, whatever you think, that's why we hired you. Right. And then you've got the confines of the kind of corporate structure and the other one. It's super interesting to think about like, how you how you it's it's really cool to be able to context switch back and forth between those two different types of environments and i'm sure you learn you learn tons of of different things each time that you that you work through one of these problems
2: one is really important to the other like i'll give you an example the contract so i worked with syndicate on um uh, rug radio um so syndicate dow which is um will and syndicate Eagle. dow yeah, just, yeah. okay are incredible um team duo that very early in the space that are just probably the best um smart contract creators in the ecosystem at the moment um really just a, just a big group of devs that that um create incredible things and um we worked together and deployed a contract in Rug Radio, which is a 721M, which is a specifically like custom-created contract thinking about what it really means to have identity on chain, uh, membership on chain. Um, And we, you know, it was the first time it had been deployed and we'd been thinking about and talking about it for some time and that was a real opportunity to test that, to test it in a really robust, demanding environment so that we could then take it and actually use it. In brand, So the contract that Rug Radio use is actually a similar, it's like you, the base foundation of the contract that Nike use, right? And so it's one actually really informs the other and you can't actually do these other big pro- projects without having an environment like a Rug Radio to test out these crazy new ways of thinking about the technology.
1: Oh, that makes a lot of sense. If you've pardon me for being like remedial about this but i'm 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 thinking that our audience might be listening to this and saying, "Okay tokenomics, what are you talking about i don 't know rug radio i didn 't yet experience swoosh. I actually finally managed to buy uh you know my my um my remix box today could you could you could you use each of those examples in and for each of rug radio and Nike?" What's the final product? And I'm, what I'm really curious is like, what is the scope of tokenomics? You know, when you say tokenomics, where does that begin and where does that end? What did you actually do with each of Rug Radio um, and Nike? Um, and in each case, or maybe Rug Radio, because there's been more time on the clock. Um, how has it gone? You know, what what would you do differently today?
2: Um, so, what do I, do? what do I actually do? Um, so for Rug Radio, and these are different, it's interesting because it's very different in different, both those projects, but um, for uh, Rug Radio, um, Frog basically, had, which was all on the Twitter spaces, I mean, you can actually go on through this live, had this, like, it was like, why don't we create this, you know, uh, media brand that's for the people, by the people. Um, and I had been thinking about decentralized media for a long time. It's probably, probably spent two years sort of thinking about well, what would that look like? And just playing around with the concept of decentralized media in my own head, like and just in my own notes and, you know, what what I was sort of thinking it might it might um be framed like and, you know, what would be important in my mind about a structure that would do decentralized media. And um so it wasn't a new topic to me when I was coming into it. Um, but you know, obviously a new group and a new context in how it was being put. So before it had this, it had that statement, like what is it for the people, by the people? Um, and so that's literally the brief that I got um, and it was just like live on the Twitter spaces. Um, and so I kind of went away with that and was like, okay, um, in like a Miro document, like a whiteboarding uh, document um, was like, what would that look like? Like, What are the most important things that you have to think about to get decentralized to media and breaking that down into um, what works already in centralized media, what works in centralized social ecosystems and what do we want to take from those things and bring them over and then what doesn't work and how, does t- how what could the current technology in, in crypto do to solve them. It's kind of like a, like just a basic map of like really high level. So start with that. um, And then I break that down, break that down again and say, okay, like what are the fundamental things that this project has to have for rug radio, for example, one of the fundamentals was it had to be fair launch. So what does it mean to do fair launch? And that's, it's like a really easy thing to say, but it's actually a really complex thing to implement in a token structure because there's many instances and moments where you can manipulate the outcome of a launch through a token deployment, right? And so you have to be really particular in the way that you build something and structure it to make it fair launch, right? So we did a whole, like there's a lot of things, even including things like doing it properly on chain, making sure things are timed in certain ways, making sure different tokens join into different things at different times and so on, right? Um, So just mapping those things out. So if it's fair launch, it has to be this. And if it's not, they wanted a DAO. So if it needs a DAO, where does that sit? Where's the legality around that? Like it's like really just mapping out all of the things. And then you get more and more and more and more into the detail of it until you come up with a structure right and so then i map out that structure of like these are the tokens these are the smart contracts these are the, this is where the art goes these are the things that will need to get this done and like literally just present that back to the team and say hey this is this, this is the structure that i'm thinking about this is what it looks like um i usually sit once the team says like, Hey, yep. They just, this is what they did. Um, the, um, I would bring them in will from syndicate and we have a conversation and we break the whole thing down, but from a very technical perspective. So, um, what could you do here? Could you make this smart contract, manipulate that? How do you do tokens without doing to- Like there's always all these different things. Like how do you create a token without creating a liquidity pool? Where's the degrees of separate Like it was just like many questions that were in that <laughs> that process. And um, so just figuring that out. And then sometimes there's things that we don't know how to do. So it's like, oh, okay, like we need to find someone, either see if that exists in DeFi or find someone that can help us do that and so on and so on. And then once we, we come up with a technical structure and once that's done, it's like, okay, this is the timeline to execute this. These are all the things that we need to make it happen. And we just manage that process all the way through. So for radio, I managed the entire thing all the way until the end and brought everything together and made sure it launched properly, you know, and deployed properly and all of the other stuff. So I stopped probably it's like an
1: economic time. product manager.
2: Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so It's like design and you know economics and, behavior and everything in between. So, um, so yeah, it's like and then there's obviously many, many moving parts around that because there's like the art and the marketing and the websites and the Web2 stuff and the social stuff and all the other things that kind of plug into it and, and you obviously have to work within all of those parameters and change things around and so forth. Um, there, So that's like on that type of project. On the Nike side, it's a little bit different because um, or any brand, actually, it's pretty much similar with every brand that I work with um, in that you, it starts off more like an education process. Um, most of the brands that I work with are very are very educated in the first. Like, for example, Nike had Artifact before just or had already bought Artifact when I started working with them. So they know stuff. Like, it's not this is not a mystery, right? Um, they're, they're smart people and they've already thought deeply about the ecosystem. But what they don't know is the nuance, the nuance and the particulars of what the tokens really do, what the technology really does, how it really will impact their business, the externalities of it, the real legalities of it, like all of these, like, nuanced things that you learn through building, right? Like these are, this is things that you only know once you've done. And so I try and help these clients know some of these things before they've done them so that they understand the pathway, the safest pathway for them to build. I actually don't know the safest pathway for them. They know it, but I just have to give them as much information as I can to then have them go, oh, this is where we need to build or these are the things that are most important to us um, during this process. So that's kind of like the first session of it. It's usually like two or three months of just like many, 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 many conversations and lots of ideation and, you know, lots of talk about the problems and all of those sorts of things. And then only then do you start going, okay, now let's talk about the technology, like in the stack and the build and that sort of thing. And so, you know, with the, the bigger clients, depending on how they go and approach the project, it's um, what is the actual technology stack? And this can be broken down. And I know um, Ledger's a, a big part of this. So Ledger sits at the actual first part of the stack, which is institutional custodial uh, services. Um, you know, institutional security services, really important part for these bigger brands. Um, so that's like at the very beginning of the stack and then it sort of goes from there. It's like wallets and then dashboarding and minting platforms and then smart contracts and then marketplaces. It's just like, just every single part of that stack has many nuances. So it's like, where does 2FA fit in? Where does security fit in? How do we do bots? Like all of the like different things with that. So once you understand the technology, only then can you then start talking about the tokenomics. Right, because
1: every- yeah, let me let me thank you for the the, <laughs> the layup. let me just pause on that for right. for w- one second because I feel like you know Ledger Enterprise continues to be kind of the best kept secret in the industry. Um, but you know every project, I mean, my my opinion is that every consumer brand will go from zero to one over the next five years. I'm curious if you disagree with that. But I think everyone will go from having no digital assets and no digital products, to having more than zero. Um, but if they do, then they they need um, security and they need governance. They're also going to need a go-to-market strategy, which is what you bring them, um, and then they're going to need security and education for their customers as well. And and you're right; like this is a tech stack that their IT teams have never seen, right? Um, you know, I've worked with brands where you know the smart contracts are protected by you know MetaMask, and like you know the most trustworthy IT guy has the recovery phrase, right? Which is you know a, a disaster waiting to happen. But I you know I, I just wanted to pause on that because I think it's uh, it's under underappreciated, and we're trying to. You know, spread the word that, you know, if you are not a person, then you need Ledger Enterprise because not only do you need security, but you also need governance because, you know, you got to gotta have responsibilities between members of the team.
2: A hundred percent. And even like, even if you just say like stealing the ETH, you take that out of it, right? And you say um, being able to deploy a contract on behalf of a company is a really significant risk factor especially in the current climate and so just that level of the security that you get with what ledger brings is so important to the overall um, uh, equanimity of everybody inside a brand when they're like biting into this space right like this is um for any brand coming into this ecosystem at this stage of the curve um it is a big bite uh, to take on. And then when you have a public listed company um, that has like a huge board and a whole heap of public domain um, attention, it is really fundamental to make sure that all of these things are done in a very particular and very you know concise ways so it's it's um you know these say the tech stack and people go okay cool what about the you know stuff on top of it it's like no 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 the tech stack is actually the most important part <laughs> of this conversation and how you build that out reflects on everything that happens next and so yeah so it's so like we spend you know a good year figuring that out and and it's um you know the 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 ecosystem is moving and developing so fast that even as you build, you can't actually build like if you build in Web2, you can pick service providers that, you know, I've probably been around for 10 years and you can kind of go, I can make a five year contract with you and it's going to be pretty cool. We're going to get what we get for five years. Right. Um, And we trust that you actually can't do that in crypto. What you can do is say, let's do a one year contract. And if we're both in the same place in a year's time, let's do another year contract. Um, but you have to also move as fast as us, right? And this is like going with suppliers and saying they have to keep up and be ahead of the curve to even keep these brands in a year's time, right? Because everything is moving so quickly and changing so rapidly. So, yeah, it's a really interesting it's an interesting dynamic on all sides of that conversation. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, I mean – It is super interesting, too, to think about kind of like where we are in the curve. And then what I was thinking about when I was, you know, thinking about the project with with Dot Swoosh and and a couple other things is just like, you know, I'm curious what you think um, the characteristics of brands that like, I guess, should is maybe not the right word, but that that are like uniquely positioned to be able to break into the space at this point. Right. Because you have to have, like you said, some risk tolerance and but then also you know with Nike you've got like we were talking about at the beginning you've got like the creative and the and the cultural currency kind of baked in with the sneakerheads right so like what do you think of when you're thinking of like you know ah oh, this brand would be really cool if we could figure out a project um, on chain like what are those characteristics?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's it's more about like it's more about their ability to. Um, to understand that this is not uh, this is not like a trend. It's, it's actually a real fun, fundamental shift in the way that, like, the technology foundations of things are going to be moving. And so it's like this, it's like a mindset that actually is, and it's usually in the conversation that you have with them. Like there's obvious things, like you said, like there's like, um, is it big enough? Um, is it an interesting part of the marketplace? I think it's really helpful to have brands that have, like, a kind of um, – subculture of their own whether it's like a Shake Shack or a Nike or whatever like these are kind of brands that have their own little kind of subculture Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's like a good element to have in the mix because I think that helps um, make the project interesting full stop Um, but I think the biggest thing is really just their appetite to actually use it in the way that it's designed to be used this technology which is to solve real problems right and so um, instead of uh, thinking about it like marketing, the, the warning signs is probably easier to to talk about. So the things that t- say to me instantly, this is not a client that I want to work with, or this is not a client that I think is right for the market now is like, they're thinking about it like a marketing plan. Um, they're thinking about it like the NFT community is the community that they want to approach. Like those sorts of indicators to me are like, mm, no, that's like, that's not where I want to be. For me, it's like, uh, you know, Nike came to me and also my other clients have come to me and said, we have this whole segment of clients over here that we want to talk to. And we think we can do better with this technology and let's see how we can figure that out. And that's when you go, okay, like that's the serious project. That's the one that's actually really going to make a difference in the ecosystem.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think one other concept that I think is fascinating and I would love for you to tell us a little bit about is this idea of on-chain memory, which I've, which mm-hmm. I've thought about, but I had never heard it called that before. And so I'd love it if, if you could kind of define that for us, what you think that means. And then like why that's so important to these kind of brand projects, like what is that going to add to their, to their business over time?
2: Um. So it's interesting because like most people don't think about building on-chain actually Like literally, right? they think it's like a saying that you you say, oh, let's build on chain. Like we're building in crypto. It's like not that building on chain actually means making indents into the into the blockchain through interaction between a token and the blockchain that is a memory that's like forever kept and held in the blockchain, right? And so, for example, when you token gate, when you go and you you use your token to open up an ecosystem or to get into a, an event or whatever, it's pinging the blockchain and saying, hey, blockchain, is this token in this wallet doing this thing? And that's a memory. There's a memory of a signature on chain that's held there to say that I tried to get into that event at this time, exactly at this moment on this block, right, in history. And that's, that's like a moment in time, an actual cultural moment in time, in that instance when it's in a real, real life event, um, that's held on chain, right? And so if you reverse engineer that, if you like flip that around the other way and you say, I'm building a token structure, I'm building an identity structure for my customer base, I'm building an identity structure for my community, and I want to understand my community. So you, what you want is to be able to create a a history with them, a memory with them. So when they show you how they emerge in your community, not when you force them to show up to places, but when they actually choose to do things in your community, you have a memory of that, you capture it. And so over time, what that might look like is, um, let's say I have my Swish ID and my Swish ID, I go and uh, tap my Swish ID when I go and buy some clothes in the store. Um, And then I go to an event in Portland and then I do this over here. And it's like, I do like five or six things. Let's say in in a month, on chain I have a memory of those things with my Swish ID. It's all attached to my Swish ID, right? And it's all sitting there on chain. And so, as the like community manager in Nike, I can go ah, oh, like Mal was at these places and we can reverse reward her for her actual emerging activity instead of forcing her into things or sending her things that she doesn't want. We already know exactly where she's at and we can just specifically individually talk to her and understand her as a client. Um, So yeah, it's just that touches
1: on, that touches on, no, that touches on two things that I think are, are, I think really underappreciated about this. And I'm really curious to see, where they go, um, I think, you know, one is that, um, I do think that there's this potential major shift in marketing, right? I mean, we think about, you know, brand building in a certain way, but it's really not that hard, right? You're trying to create attention and how do you create attention? You target audiences. Um, so what, you know, brands do right now is they create content, um, and then they, you know, often, you know, pay some media channel to, display that content for them. But that costs a lot of money, right? Creating that content costs a lot of money. Paying those media channels costs a lot of money. What if you just had direct access to the audience and you could basically gift them, you know, the benefit of that, of that marketing and that, and that, that seems to be, you know, part of where you're going with that.
2: That's exactly it. And it's it's um if you take into consideration like let's say put crypto aside for a second and you take into consideration the shift in culture on social platforms, um so social platforms probably up until yeah, mid-COVID, um, they probably peaked out mid-COVID as far as like attention and capacity for you to get a return on investment for advertising and so forth in that space, right? There was like a peak point. And then they're sort of slowly declining over time since then. And you put on top of that the removal of third-party cookies, which happens I think in a f- six months' time or so, early next year. Um, you essentially have closed off the two most used Uh, platforms to know your customer for almost every brand right like that's removed so then what do you do right where are these people who are these people you can't just email them no like no one reads their email anymore right and so it's yep. a, it's an actual significant problem in the marketing space, and so then you say, okay, well, what what has actually shifted? Right? And this is a cultural conversation. I know you know a lot about this, Ian, as well. It's like you culture comes in these waves of of up, but up the like top down and bottom up, right? And when it hits that middle mark of the those two things, it's like a really beautiful time in in a in a curve, but. Often they're sitting at either one end or the other, and that peak that I was just talking about—that's when that was peak top down, right? That whole sort of peak social media space, um, almost reflected in clothes. It's reflected in the aesthetic as well. So everything is very loud. Um, everyone is very loud. The colors are loud. The lots of gold, like blingy things. Like it's that's the it's like an aesthetic, not just even a memetic, right? And then you that falls off the top of a cliff because everyone's starts to seek the creatives start to seek what no one else has, right? And so they quietly go down the bottom of the stack and they start emerging in different things, but they do it in a way that's very closed off. It's like, if you know, you know, the, if you know, you know, culture starts, right? And this emerging thing happens, right? And then brands start to figure it out somewhere around halfway point or a little above the pathway point, and then it goes and peaks again, right? Like, that's like the cycle, right? And so what this technology actually can do is help you understand the emergent as they emerge right you can see the emergent as it emerges so this is when you think transparency in this space there's like a, almost like a misunderstanding of what that even means and transparency is this like decision to look And everything's there, but you actually have to make all these decisions to look at it and all these decisions to build to be able to see it. Um, And so what you're seeing now is um, this shift. And a really simple way to describe the shift, um, like to describe all that for a customer to kind of understand it or for people to kind of understand it, to say up until this point, everything happened before the point of sale and the customer relationship ended at that point. So you build, you build, you build, you advertise, you build a product, you get them on the site, you get them to buy something and they buy it and they finish. Like that's the end of the sale process, right? And everything for this technology brings and what this technology does and what the culture is telling you where they're at right now is that everything starts at the point of sale. So they come in and they buy something or they come in and they choose your brand in some particular way. And then that's when the relationship begins. And then it's your responsibility to know who that client is over time, to reverse reward them, to keep them into your ecosystem and to cultivate their ability to emerge through your space over time and, and, and collaborate and, and, and be a part of your ecosystem. So it's a very different way of thinking about, you know, how your relationship sits and where you put those branding dollars and and when you, where you build things.
0: It's it's super interesting because I think of this a little bit as like a, a new and I don't know yet because we haven't proven it right, but like potentially like more useful and less predatory way of like tracking and targeting, right? You've got this like on-chain memory and then we have this incredible like I think opportunity and, and inevitability ahead of us where like we will eventually have like actually only one login, right, which is, you know, your key that you that you sign, you sign in to a website, and then you can be able to kind of like use this on chain memory to say, like, you know, here is a truly useful front page for you right? Like, with, with these brands based on, like, how we know that you've interacted with us in the past, and, like, maybe how we know you've interacted with this other brand that we just did a collaboration in, or, like, with this music artist that you also, you know, have ascribed value to. And so, I don't know, I think, I wonder how you think about that that world, right? Because so many people are, are like, turning off ad tracking, right? But, like, I feel like there's more utility in this kind of memory. And I wonder how you think about that from like a predatory, like tracking perspective.
2: <laughs> I, 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 it's a huge part of how I think about building in this space, right? Because I am a massive advocate for Sovereign choice. Right. And that's what you're talking about there. Like the choice that you get to make the choice when someone is talking to you, when someone is in your domain or knowing about who you are. Right. And we've, we've almost, uh, not even almost, we, we outsourced that choice we like exchanged it for the use of the platforms that we've been using up until this point. Right. And it was almost like an unconscious decision. People made the choice, but only realized the effects of the choice many years down the track. Right. But now we know, right. Now we, there is an educated audience on this choice, right. The society in general knows. Right. And so it's what's, this is for me, this is one of the most exciting parts of this technology. I get like super excited and super geeked out about this, this feature. So, um, for me, it's like, if you think about this as a, like a wallet, This is a wallet domain problem, right? And so, what I think the future of wallets will be um, is that you go and you log into your wallet, and it even won't be a key, it will be like a username and password, right? And um, then in your wallet, you'll have a dashboard, right? And I think, like, probably, you know, what Ledger's doing is very similar, like, in directionally in this space, right? So, I think there's like a lot of similar thinking in the ecosystem on this space. But let's say you, you land on your dashboard and what you actually have in your dashboard, dashboard is not a reflection of your ownership, but also a reflection of your choices. Right, And you can say, Oh, today, I do not want, I'm going to use my swoosh ID today, but I only want Nike to see this much click and you choose that, that um, it's, it's a permission, right? Cause if you understand the technology a little bit, you understand you can get really nuanced with permissions in a smart contract. And so you can have an interaction with a contract where you're saying this tiny little thing, I want that to happen, but nothing else to change this tiny little thing. I want that to happen, but nothing else to change. Right. And so permissions become this really interesting space of saying, I want them to see this, but not this. I want them to understand this about me, but not this today. I want to go dark. I don't want anyone to know anything about me, right? And there's a layer within this that sits where zero-knowledge proofs um, come into play, and there's a lot of technology that still needs to be developed around this, but I can see a lot of progress happening in this space, and I'm super excited about it because I think that's the ultimate empowerment. Like you talk about being sovereign. Being sovereign is not being separate from everything and not being able to interact with anything. Being sovereign is having the choice. And whenever you want that choice, it's available to you, right? So if I want Nike to know where I am and what I'm doing because I want the rewards from that, then I'm just going to turn it on, right? But if I don't, I should have the choice.
1: Cool. I I'm, I just wanted to comment because, I, you know, Pascal and I were in DC last week, um, talking to lawmakers. And this is, I think, how far this extends. You know, We've said a lot that you know, Web 1.0 was username and login. And Web 2.0 is basically a question of who owns you, right? Um, log in with Facebook, log in with iCloud, log in with Google. Um, I just moved back to Android from iCloud and wow, you are reminded of how you are literally owned by these platforms, right? That that transition from sort of iCloud to Google Cloud, even moving your WhatsApp—I lost all my WhatsApp history. I have it as an iCloud backup, but getting it actually over <laughs> to my Android phone has eluded me up to this point. I don't have the five hours it would take to basically restart and uh, and and make that happen. If anybody knows, text me. I'd love to. I'd love to get a you know a, a short tutorial on it. Um, But that's the reminder. And, you know, when we were talking to these um, Congress people and representatives in Washington, you know, the question that works is, okay, if not this, then what? Right. If we don't have, you know, decentralization, we don't have security, you know, because then you're just saying, which central repository, government, company, would you like to put all the data in? Like, where do you want to put the honeypot? right? So, you know, without decentralization, you don't have security. And an analogy that we found worked really well with these people in Washington was one of a digital safe, right? Because, you know, if if you are um, a representative in Washington, D.C., you certainly respect the private property of Americans. um, And you know that an American can put whatever they want to in their safe, right? Like that is, you know, really kind of a fundamental right. If I want to put gold bars in my safe, I can do that. Um, Now you go, okay, well, let's talk about the utility of a connected safe, which gets to what you were talking about, federating the information. And I agree with you. And I think it's a great point that a lot more technology has to come and people have to understand that the technology we have today is not the technology we will have tomorrow. Um, But, you know, if you say, okay, you know, I was was in Washington, D.C. walking around and I would say, well, my passport right now is in my hotel room where pretty much, you know, anyone in the hotel has access, not the safest place for it to be. It's also all the information is available. You know, you want to take a photo of it, scan it, take my passport number, take my photo, get my age, get my citizenship. Okay. You got me right. Um, What if that was in my safe at my house? Uh, Even though I'm here in DC with you right now, my passport could be in my safe right now, but it's a connected safe. So when I need to present my identification, I can tell you just what you need to know. Do you know I'm over the age of 18 I'm over the age of 21 I'm an American citizen this is my passport number so you can see if I'm not on some do not fly list and only if you're an immigration official do you need to like check out all of my stamps right um so I think that's a great example that that helps um that that helps you know kind of explain where this goes so I obviously I geek out on it like you do but like this is transformative right? Um, This is completely transformative. And to me, it's the promise of the internet that I got excited about the year Zoe was born in 1990. And those two, those two dates literally coincide. Um, So.
2: Yeah, I I agree. This is the most for me, this is like, when I'm like, oh, we actually really did something is when that sort of thing exists. It's, it's, fundamental yeah. and it's interesting because one of the big things like you were talking before about what is it to build this technology so one of my own personal principles that I go into projects with is to always build on chain so all of the projects that I work on have proper on chain structures proper contracts written very customized very particular and have their assets and everything on chain in a, in the right way and the reason for that is that most people don't understand this now but it's going to be fundamental in five years time i just like this is the direction and if you don't build now for that five years time you'll be in all sorts of trouble in five years time you won't have this whole memory of of time so this is like one of the key things that i sort of like if i'm like thinking of the things that i don't compromise on when i'm building the the number one is build on chain
1: i love the converse the the concept of on-chain memory as well just like zoe said earlier And there's something like very fundamental about it to our lives. You know, I I took photos on on tour with the Beastie Boys in nineteen ninety-five. And I always say if anybody has those, like please send them to me because I I don't know where they are. They might be on a CD-rom in storage, right? But but like this is the reality of all of us who, you know, I I I had I have a Flickr account, I had a MySpace account, I had a Mm -hmm. Google. 360. Is that what it was called account? Shout out to Bradley Horowitz. Um, you know, you know, so, but these things come and go, like you can bet on it. So I thought to myself, like, you know, will Zoe have access to my iCloud in 30 years? If I was a betting man, I'd say no. Yeah. Right. I would say that we've probably gone a couple of cycles since then. Right. So, um, I actually started a, a you know, a, um, a collection on Tezos called blockchains will outlive humans. And I've been posting photos there and, and minting a few of them and dropping them in the wallets of friends and family. And actually I was like, you know, if it's a photo that Zoe might like, you know, why don't I mint three of them? I'll put one in my wallet, one in her wallet and put one up for sale. They've been selling. So you have this super weird dynamic where, you know, you have, you have this because fundamentally we now have digital things. Just like I was talking to my mom about this on the weekend, um, you know, when she was born, there wasn't plastic. Uh, today, look around, how much plastic do you see, right? Um, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't digital stuff, you know, scarce digital stuff. 20 years from now, look around you, how much digital stuff do you have? So I think that that, that concept of on-chain memory, and by the way, most plastic is useless, are not useless, valueless. Um, and I think a real challenge we have here is like this is too much about value um and not enough about utility um and uh, you know that that really muddies the conversation, right so I think you know but before we go to our I mean, we have so much to talk about, Mel. We could do this for two hours. Will you do this again with us sometime? But we, we have, <laughs> I have one more question. Zoe might have more. And then we have our closing questions. So we're already, we're already getting let, there on the I'll time. And I'm sure you have things to do.
0: Dad, and then we can, we can wrap it up because I know we're all, we're all busy. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. So my, my question was like, so, okay, with all that in mind, like I love that you have this vision and I love that you're doing what you're doing. Um, my hope is that, you know, this will inspire others to, to do similar things, not just at brands, but, you know, people like you who, who who work with brands. Um, so where do you see, I mean, we talked about rug radio and Nike in particular. Um, where do you see those projects just to give us an example? I mean, you know, you're not a weather, a weather person, right? So, um, but where would you like those projects to be in five years? And what are the other things that you're working on now?
2: Um, It's interesting. I forgot to answer that part of the question before. Did did they work? Like, did the drug radio work when I built the ergonomic structure? Um, Well, the good news is that it did work, which is, in in fact, it worked. This is one of the awesome parts of this space is you get these live instant feedback loops. (laughs) Like if something doesn't work, you're going to know really quickly, right? Um, Like, so they're just functionally, they work. Um, And that's great. And then um, as far as like, just their evolution. Like Rug Radio has gone in this completely different direction. I mean, it's actually one of the most profitable DAOs in the whole ecosystem, which is crazy. Like that's kind of cool. Right. <laughs> and so, um, so that's kind of doing its thing, um, and, and working in its own way and going in its own direction. I mean, I have nothing to do with the project now, which is the way that it also should be like, it doesn't need to be babysat. It needs to just be free in the ecosystem, especially for once something that's properly decentralized, it should have its own life. Um, so that I feel like is just a constant, like cool feedback loop that I get to enjoy and see and learn from. And there's elements of the technology in that project that won't be realized until well down the line. Like the tech, the token that we created doesn't get fully vetted, or, uh, like released in tranches for five years. So we actually really won't know if it works until another like four years. So <laughs> that's cool. I get to wait and see that and see what happens with that and how, even if it lasts that, that test of time. Um, so that's sort of one side of it. And then, and, you know, from an, uh, like a Nike or a big brand perspective, I certainly don't want to just point out them because it's similar for other other brands. I can already see internally in the bigger brands that I work with, how much even just doing one project completely breaks the thinking of how they think about the next 50 years of their brand. And we all know that anyone that's done a project knows what happens after you do a project, right? Something breaks. Like, it's like the way you see the world shifts and I'm watching this happen in these brands. And it's so cool because then they're like, ah, wow. Okay. Let's rethink that. And that's the kind of conversations that I'm hearing from these, these companies and these organizations, like, oh, we could do this whole other thing. And then they're coming back to me with ideas that I didn't even think of. And that's, like, unreal. So for me, I'm, like, super excited and I think it's really going in the right direction. And even though there's only a few, you only need a few to do really well for everything else to work. So um, I'm, like, really excited about where that's going <laughs> in general. And then what else am I working on or what, like, some of the stuff that I think is really important now. So I'd try, um, like if you split my time up, I'd probably spend about, 75% of my time with clients and the rest of my time, I actually spend uh, working alongside some of the bigger providers in the space, whether that's with Coinbase or BitGo or Bitski on the wallet side or base as a platform or polygon or these sorts of things. And I have a lot of conversations with these organizations and groups who are just like, just as an aside just geniuses. Like there's so many smart people working on products in this space Um, to try and figure out how to build better products. Like what do the clients really want? How do we make that better? What can we really do? What am I seeing coming? What are they seeing coming? How is that going to impact what the decisions are being made over here? And so a lot of my time sort of spent in that kind of like, how do we make better product space and can we do this better <laughs> sort of sort of um, section? And then the last thing that I'm really excited about and really thinking about a lot, and this probably like my daydream time is probably spent in this space, which is um, with AI coming in. I know we didn't bring AI up in this conversation, which is great, but <laughs> um, we, when, with AI coming in, from, in my mind, AI is the ultimate tipping point for crypto. Because what you need when AI is everywhere is the ability to verify what's real right, and what's true. And it is the first true utility use case for crypto, like ubiquitous utility that everybody needs is, is this really real?
1: What I've been saying, what I've been saying, and I, and I stole this from Leslie Silverman at UTA. So credit where it's due is she said it really simply, um, AI brings digital abundance. Crypto brings digital scarcity. And we said that a lot in DC last week. They need to understand that these are two sides of the same coin.
2: Um, I was just going to say, if you think about it, that from a tool perspective, like how do you build for that? What you need is a cryptographically confirmed way to decide, to verify, like when you make things, to verify that they're yours. So you need it as a builder. And on the other side, as a viewer, as an audience community person, like just a member of society, you need a quick way to verify, like literally click this button to verify on chain that this is a real thing or not kind of tool on that side. So there's like two kinds of toolkits, a pull, pull and a push. And these toolkits, like that doesn't exist yet. And so I'm thinking a lot and doing lots of work and talking to a lot of really smart people, smarter than me on what that might look like to, to, to build tools in that space. Because I think that like in very short order, everyone will need those, those things. I
1: have so many more questions. Um, but I wanted to make, I, I, I want to, I'm going to ask a a provocative question that you can feel free to tell us to cut out later. But first I just want to make a comment. Um, you know, as someone that works, works with brands, I love what you said about what it does, um, to brands. Like once you've done this, right? Like once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. But the question is, how do you kind of take that first leap? So what I've been saying to brands is that, um, you know, get started, um, because the more time that you spend, Um, you know, the more learnings you will get. Um, Don't take a lot of risk. I actually really liked the Nike drop, doing it in in fiat, doing it for less than 20 bucks. Very smart, right? Because they get to learn without a lot of kind of speculative risk. Um, But I also think you're right. The very first project I try to do with brands is an internal one. One that is for the employees, right? Because if you can just get you know, if you can give a digital um, asset to the entire employee base, it was actually Tony Baloney, who is the managing director of LVMH, who had this realization. And when he said it, I went, oh my God, first of all, I should have thought of that, but he's much smarter than me. But um, this is two years ago. I was trying to explain a lot of these things to him. And his response was, oh, so we should do a app for everyone in the company, right? And I was like, Uh, yeah, that's really simple and probably really effective because, you know, again, everyone has to go from zero to one from not feeling it to feeling it. Right. And then of course, like you do that and there will be very few kind of takers, but if you're in a gigantic organization of 10,000 people and you manage to like get a hundred people to get it. Holy shit, that's a lot of people on a relative basis because only two people got it yesterday and they were in a corner and everyone told them they were wearing tinfoil hats, right? Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I love that approach. I think, look, I always say this is a slow burn. You know, I started building digital music apps in 92 and we launched Apple Music in 2015. So anybody who thinks this shit happens overnight, I got news for you. It doesn't, it takes a really long time. A lot of tools have to be built. We need a lot of people, you know, who are, you know, who are, who are doing, you know what it is you're doing um and the provocative question i wanted to ask you just cuz i think it's interesting is you're accustomed to getting paid in ethereum true or false
2: true <laughs> <laughs> it's a vetting tool that I use. I,
1: I love that because it means you're all in.
2: Yeah, not in every client because some clients are not legally set up to to do it yet. And then we have to bring in people like Let's Yeah, know. I'm
1: trying to imagine Nike <laughs> paying you in Ethereum, but um
2: but well, you know, that's this is it's actually a wonderful vetting tool that i use it's one of the the tools that i want so i can understand where a client is because the minute that you ask someone to pay you in ethereum you know exactly where they are on their learning curve if they can just go yep no yeah. problems then you know i'll give you an example when i started did some work for keith uh grossman at time um keith got me on the phone and he literally wouldn't let me off the phone until i said i'd work for him and then he's like so what's your ens domain and i told him he's like he paid me before I even got on the phone, I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> but like that's like Amazing. the book of like someone that's in the space, right? And then you've got, you know, clients down yep. the bottom that are like, can you walk us through how we even do that? Right. And which is a very honest answer of like, this is where they're at as a customer. Right. So it's yeah. I think that um like I don't I think in Ethereum, like I translate things back to to
0: dollars. I, I don't think in dollars anymore. So right. Um, I think we could all talk for like another three hours probably, but we're, we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to let everybody get the rest to the rest of their day, but we're going to do our lightning round of, of, of questions. If that's, if that's cool. I'll, with yeah. you. I'll start.
1: <laughs> I forgot you did the, you did the band question. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with the, uh, with the other one, you know, this, this is, you know, uh, this is a, uh, podcast series. It's around the concept of creative custody. Um, but I think all of us have a very different view of what that means. What does creative custody mean to you?
2: That's the first thing that I thought of was like, art, um, but I mean, I think it's, it's choice, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's art and it's choice. I don't know. That's the first two words that came to my mind. Creative custody.
0: Art and choice. Perfect. I, um, and, and so then when we're thinking about moving from kind of like the, the Web 2 world of information toward the kind of Web 3 world of, of value, what advice do you would you give somebody who's thinking of kind of transitioning what they do from like a world of information to a world of value? Uh, you, it's a great question because
2: you use the word value. And when you say value, 99% of the population think money, right? But there is actually like many, many layers of value. And I actually have a top three layer layer of value and money is actually the third of the top three. The first one is sovereign decision making, the second one is access, and the third one is money. And if you have money without access and decision make- and sovereign decision making, you have a race to the bottom, right? And so, the, my advice to anyone coming into the space is actually go and learn and understand all of the many different types of value connection is a value access is a value decision making is a value preference is a value your culture is valuable like your your aesthetic is a valuable thing like all of these things are valuable and they can all be captured on chain this technology can actually capture move and equate value to every single one of those things that I just said so learn about them because that's going to guide you in a totally different space in this ecosystem
1: I love that. A total reframing of what, of what value means. You know, the, the part of the way that I work people back from this, and this is the third question is, you know, starting with things that are out there in the future that I believe are inevitable, but are hard to imagine today. Um, just like in 1998, it was hard to imagine that you would, you know, book your appointment, you know, to get a driver's license online. You know, people would have been like, oh my God, that'll never happen. Right. I think that today I I'm certain that ultimately you're passport will be a digital document. Um, I even believe that the majority of all luxury goods or luxury purchases, I should say, um, will be digital and 100% of them will come, have a digital component. What are the things that, that you think might um, surprise or what's one thing that you think you know might be very hard to imagine today but is, is inevitable to be a part of our lives 20 years from now?
2: Uh. You're making really what you said about luxury goods is really interesting. I was at an event last night for Bobby Hunter's book launch, and Jeff Staples was on stage with us talking about you know the, the space and the ecosystem, and he made this comment about how. Um, the future that he sees is that everything will be digital and only a few things will be physical. Kind of like when we say, um, right now, if you say, oh, I'm building a bricks and mortar store, like the actual store, bricks and mortar store is like a novelty item in the conversation. Like, so the novelty item in the conversation of the future will be that you have a real product attached to your digital product and i think that's really difficult for people to see and to to kind of wrap their head around especially in the current culture of stuff it's yeah it's a hard one for people to grasp
1: exactly totally agree and this is so uh inspiring mel really thank you so much for for being with us and and not just for being with us thank you for doing what you do um and like doing you know pushing pushing this forward and and doing these things like this intersection of um kind of an economy that includes, you know, not only monetary value, but, you know, personal value, cultural value, personal values, um, you know, with, with actually putting real projects together from everyone like digital native brands um, to some of the biggest, you know, brand names in the world, like Nike um, is super inspiring. So the next time you launch something, which I know is coming, you're not allowed to talk to us about, you got to come back and talk to us again.
2: Absolutely. There is actually one thing, it's a question I was thinking about in the back of my head. You asked a question before about like, what? how do you get into tokenomics? Um, that I think is maybe really important to say, even in the current climate and things that are going on in crypto world. Um, integrity is something that people don't really talk about a lot in this space, um, but having really, really strong boundaries around your integrity is actually kind of up there with even just knowing the stuff <laughs> um, you have to say no to a lot of things in this space including a lot of money to actually last the distance to even be able to build interesting things like all the people that I know that are the best builders in this ecosystem have said no to all the scams all the quick get quick rich things all the like they just you have to do it to last because it compromises your integrity every single time right and if you're really interested in being a builder and contributing to this ecosystem like you've got to figure that out for yourself first because it's going to be an important ingredient in what you what you create for yourself Yeah.
1: and that was the one thing i wanted to ask you earlier just maybe uh, i'll throw in a final question because it's super important i say it's super important because i've talked to a couple of founders over the last week who i've really i felt like you know they're 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 down in the dumps right because they um, they're not quite sure where to go next in this very difficult market. What's the advice you'd have, you know, for a, for a founder of a project who maybe was like doing great last year, but this year is really struggling and trying to find their way.
2: Yeah. It's, it's um, I've seen so many uh, protocols and, and projects come and go because timing is really hard in this ecosystem and you really, really have to think very long-term and like put your head down, put your earphones on, you know, blinders on and just build when it's like this kind of market, when it's quiet, call it the quiet market or the builder's market. This is just when you build. And it's almost like, don't even expect anything from the ecosystem or from what you're building. Just put your head down and build, try and stretch out your runway as far as you can, you know, do the things that you need to do to, to, to make that happen. But like just head down and build because the people that, you know, in 2017, there was obviously like, I mean, the disaster that was 2017, the ICO crash was even worse than what the FTX crash was, I think. And, you know, people came out of that. What came out of that was two years of Ghostly silence. Not only did no one want to know anything about crypto, it didn't even have any profile in the public domain, so it didn't even like even exist, right? And what came out of that two years was Uniswap, MakerDAO, like all of the incredible stuff with the merge. like this ledger, like the, the what ledgers built in the last couple of years is because of a result of the work that was done during that period of time, right? And so like you have to do that hard time to be like leader in the next up up wave. So just kind of like hang in there and, you know, and build.
1: Totally agree. And by the way, uh, this is a bit of a preview for an episode Zoe and I have coming up with an incredible brand builder named Brice Partouche, who has a running clothes company called Satisfy Running. But um, and I feel like you know, he's, he's had the company for seven years now, seven and a half years, and, and just watching him build brick by brick by brick. And the thing I notice about it is he has a stamina and a, a, a like a long-term vision that most people don't have like so many people especially if they're in sort of the startup world it's like well wait I've done doing this for 2 years why aren't I rich you know and the reality is to build a brand LVMH knows this to build a brand takes years By default. Right. I think, you know, there's a I, I shouldn't share the numbers, but the curve on Golden Goose is incredible. Right. The founder, you know, took that company to zero to something relatively small over the course of 12 or so years. And then the company has really scaled since then. But without those first 12 years of growing small, you couldn't have had the back half. Um, you know, I've read shoe dog, so I know there's a, there's a similar story there. So, um, great, super, super great advice for founders, Mel. Can't wait to, can't wait to get this out there. Thanks so much for being with us.
2: Thank you for having me. Thanks
1: Zoe for the great questions. This content is provided for informational purposes only, and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal business investment or tax advice. Do your own research and loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.